Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today's message comes to us from Grace New Hope's adult ministry director, Patrick Moran. Paul had been born into the chosen people of Israel, a bragging point for all Jews. And he said, I will not rejoice in my nationality. He chose to rejoice in the cross of Christ. So what about you? What do you rejoice in? And what do you think about the cross of Christ? As we wrap up the New Testament book of Galatians, go with us now to Galatians chapter six. Here's Patrick. All right, good morning, New Hope. You guys can say hi to each other, shake if you feel comfortable, I guess. You can shake my hand after this for sure. (laughs) Um, Well, if you guys don't know me, uh, my name is Patrick, and according to our handout this morning, I am the adult ministry director now. (laughs) This is a change in position for me. Um, I've spent the last two years in student ministry Um, As a resident, I'm finishing out the summer with students and transitioning into adults. Um, So I had the joy and the honor and the privilege to to hear these young students lead worship and sing worship for a lot of weekends over the last couple of years. And it was was an honor and a joy. Um, But this right here, me being up here right now, is very humbling um, because I get to see all the hard work that Randy puts in every week, uh, that Josh puts in every week, that Shiva puts in every week and the, the hard work of the team. So it's humbling to be up here, uh, to be teaching this incredible word of God that has been breathed out by his Holy Spirit. It's infallible, it's inerrant, and somehow I'm tasked with preaching it this morning. Um, my, my brother and my sister-in-law are here this morning. I think they're the only ones in here who knew me before Jesus, my BC days. And they could tell you five years ago that this would never be a possibility. But with our God, anything is possible. Already got me going this morning. Um, and Mr. Don Balfour had me going this morning with that video, Memorial Day. And I do want to say a few words about that. Um, I'm a veteran, United States Marine Corps, Semper Fi, yes. Um, my father was in the Air Force. My grandfather was in the Navy. Uh, my maternal grandfather flew jets in Vietnam. Um, my great-grandfather was a Navy CB who helped build the runway that the Enola Gay took off of to drop an atomic bomb on Japan. A lot of veterans. My great-uncle drove tanks in the Army. A lot of veterans in my family. A lot of veterans here. We know Josh was in the Army, and I'm not going to hold it against them. It's fine. <laughs> we all know Marines are better. It's okay. <laughs> oh, Joseph here. We have a lot of vets, right? But today and this weekend is not about me, and it's not about everyone who is a veteran who is alive today. This weekend is about honoring those who gave the ultimate sacrifice in service to this country. For us to enjoy these incredible freedoms that we have, in China right now, there can be no Patrick Moran standing on a stage preaching the gospel publicly, but they do have their house churches, and the word of God is spreading like wildfire in China. It's amazing. But in, in kind of uh, keeping with the theme of Memorial Day, I do want to say that I think every day should be a Memorial Day of sorts for the Christian. Should we not always honor and think about the martyrs of the faith who died in defense of the gospel in hostile countries where they weren't welcome and they were killed for preaching the gospel? And most importantly, should we not always remember the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
to pay for the forgiveness of our sins. Every day is a memorial day for the Christian. But as we close our study in Galatians, we will, oh, I have this picture I want to show you. I found it this morning, scrolling through, uh, scrolling through Facebook. If you can, it's going to be hard to see. These are Marines of the 5th Marine Regiment who are hauling crosses up a hill. There was a wildfire in 2014 at Camp Pendleton in California. And they had crosses, 5th Marine Regiment, had crosses with all of their fallen brothers etched, uh, the names etched into the crosses, and they were sitting on top of this hill. And as the fire, the wildfire was raging, Marines got in their truck and drove up to the top of the hill to save the crosses from being burned up. Not because of the pieces of wood that they are, but because of the, the remembrance of their fallen brothers that were commemorated in the cross. And so I just thought it was incredible that we have Marines here hauling crosses up a hill. It reminds me of Jesus. They are not Jesus, I know that. But it gives me the picture of Jesus hauling his cross up to Golgotha to take our punishment for us. So we are closing our study in Galatians this morning. Closing our study. We've been in Galatians for like six months. But this is my favorite type of learning. This is my favorite type of teaching. The middle schoolers know and I think they kind of got tired of it at the end. No, I'm kidding. Expositional preaching. But we are going to be in Galatians chapter 6. If you want to open there, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. We'll be reading those and we'll be talking about it. And as we're going to see, we're going to see Paul summarizing and pressing home the main purpose for which he wrote. And we're, what we're going to see, the first point that we're going to look at is a contrast. Paul is going to contrast the Judaizers their motives with his own. His motives, he states, are to glory and rejoice in the cross of Christ only. And we're going to see that the Judaizers love to glory and rejoice in their own works and their own converts. But the question I want everyone to be thinking about during this entire morning, have this on the front of your mind as we talk about this, what do you think about the cross of Christ? What do you think about the cross of Christ? That's going to be the theme this morning. Galatians chapter 6, read with me verses 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Um, yeah, I just pray that I, that, I, that I honor God this morning with this reading of the word. Uh, so let's look at the contrast. That's the first point if you look on your handout. We're going to look at this contrast. In verse 11, Paul mentions that he's writing in these huge letters, right? Look what large letters I'm writing to you, brothers. And I think what he's trying to say is Paul wants to emphasize the importance of what he's written, not the style in which it's written. 
Now, Paul could have been writing the whole letter. Usually, Paul dictates his letters to a scribe, and then he might sign off on the end with some special greetings to other people. But he could have been writing this whole letter, and by saying, look with what large letters I write you, could have been referring to the entire thing, saying, look how important this whole letter is. I'm writing to you so big, right? Another possibility is if he had been dictating to a scribe, and then he was signing off in these last nine verses with his personal signature, he could be writing so large as to kind of be a public proclamation in the church. Put this last page of the letter up on the wall of the church because this is what I want you to know. But when we look at the context of the rest of the, uh, the verses around it, it certainly looks like, uh, like Paul was writing in this large block lettering because it was kind of ugly. Now, the Greeks loved beauty, right? We see Greek architecture, Greek statues, but Greeks also loved pretty writing. And so these Judaizers who are influenced by the Greek culture, when they would write letters, right? We know Paul has been contrasting the Judaizers this whole, less, uh, this whole letter. The, Ju- uh, the Judaizers would have written in this large, cursive, beautiful, flowery, flowing language, regardless of what was being said. And so Paul, by writing in this ugly language, was saying, don't worry about the way that I write. Don't worry about my methodology. Worry about the message, because that's what's important. The message is what's important. The Judaizers cared about outward appearance. If they had written a letter, they would have wanted to draw attention to the beautiful writing, not the actual message. Now, this further highlights the difference between the Judaizers and their wanting the outward works of the flesh and Paul preaching a gospel of grace and the inward work of the Spirit. This emphasizes the difference between substance and style. Paul wanted the Galatians to realize it matters much more the things that are written, not the style in which they're delivered. The message is what matters. And this reminds us also that God does not judge by human standards. We read this in 1 Samuel 16. God says, I don't judge like you judge. I care about the heart. God doesn't care about how flowy and cursive your writing is. God doesn't care how wise you think your speech is. God cares about the message that you're delivering. And as I was preparing for this, it brought to my mind the imagery that Jesus uses in Matthew 23 when he's uh, kind of calling out the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Galatian, the Judaizers cared about the way that they were writing. Paul cared about the message. The second point we're going to look at, and Paul touches on it in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 6, we're going to look at the gospel. This book, this entire letter to the Galatians has just been gospel filled. This is probably Paul's first letter that he wrote, but his theology never changed. Don't let anyone tell you that he was working out his theology as he wrote. His theology never changed. So what's written in Galatians is the same thing that's written in Romans. But in in verses 12 and 13, he says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What he meant here is that the Judaizers only cared about themselves and their version of the gospel. Paul has addressed at length in this entire letter, the Judaizers were preaching false gospel. They were preaching a gospel of works. They were preaching a gospel of flesh. 
a gospel that said people could be made righteous by what they do. They, were, they, they proclaimed the name of Jesus. The Judaizers proclaimed the name of Jesus, but they said you must get circumcised in order to be a true believer. That is not at all how this works. We live in a gospel of grace. But the Judaizers did not want to look at the Savior. They did not want to look at his righteousness to be saved. They didn't want to look at his righteousness in order for them to be justified in front of a holy God. The Judaizers were not concerned with pleasing God with an inward righteousness, but rather they were concerned with impressing other people by their outward works. I think there's some part in scripture where Jesus says, he's, it's another woe to you Pharisees, where he says, you know, you'll travel halfway around the world to create a child twice the, de- twice the child of hell that you are, because all they cared about was creating converts, not actually preaching God, not preaching Christ crucified, nothing that mattered. The Judaizers were preaching a false gospel, and it must be noted that a false gospel is no gospel at all. There are not degrees of the gospel. There are not multiple gospels. There is one gospel. There is one. Among many other places in Scripture, you can find the gospel all throughout Scripture. Old Testament, you can find the gospel in, in Genesis chapter 3, all the way through Revelation. But I'm going to read out of Ephesians 2. It's one of my favorite passages. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul is speaking to current believers. He's speaking to people who are Christians. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the, like the rest of mankind. Our sentence was death, because we were children of disobedience. That was our sentence. But then verse four, two of the sweetest words in all of scripture, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Nowhere in there does Paul say by circumcision, you've been saved. By grace, you've been saved. And further in in Ephesians 2, in verses 8 and 9, Paul says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, but purely a gift of God, not of our works. Why? So that no one can boast. So that no one can say, look at me and look what I've done. Because the gospel says, look at God and everything that he's done. Everything that he's done. Paul had made a point, a big point in chapter one, stating that if anyone comes to Galatia to preach a false gospel, a gospel that me or any of us had not preached to you, let that person be accursed. Even an angel from heaven, if they came down and preached to you a gospel that I did not tell you, that I got straight from Jesus Christ, let that angel be cursed. If it's not the gospel, it's not Christianity. The Judaizers They were staunchly opposed to the true gospel. And Paul gives us two reasons why in these verses. He says, one, they didn't want to suffer persecution for the cross. And two, they wanted to boast about creating converts to their religion of outward works, as opposed to Paul winning converts by preaching the grace of God. They wanted to brag about their own converts. Following Christ and identifying with him as Savior and Lord, you can't have one or the other. He is Savior and Lord. 
Following him will undoubtedly and inevitably lead to persecution for his sake. Now, we don't understand what that means in America because we don't get persecuted. But we can look around at the stories of the churches in Iran, the churches in China, the churches in Iraq. We can look around and see, heck, even the churches in Canada, for some reason, in the Western world, they're having to have, um, they're having to have secret church. Whoever would have thought that would happen. But following Jesus will lead to persecution for his sake. But Jesus, and the Galatians, or the Judaizers didn't want to believe this, but Jesus blesses those who are persecuted. Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Judaizers did not care about their reward in heaven. They cared about their material possessions and their status on earth. They wanted to look good in front of other people. They were concerned about their safety, not their salvation. They wanted a Messiah to overthrow their oppressors, but not a Savior to overthrow their sins because they thought they could do it themselves. They didn't think they needed Jesus and his grace. Point number three, and we're gonna move into the meat. Point number three is the cross. We're gonna be talking about the cross. This is what Paul says in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The word that Paul uses for boast here, we translate it boast. It's not typically how we would think of it as boast. We think of boasting as like pride, right? Look at all my accomplishments. Look how good I am. I'm boasting. That's how we use the word. But what Paul was using it was to say, I will not glory. I will not rejoice. I will not praise anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul was one of the most educated men of his era, probably the most educated man of his region. And he chose to rejoice in the cross of Christ, not in his education. Paul had done more good works for Christianity than anyone except Jesus himself, and he chose not to rejoice in that. Paul had been, uh, Paul had been born into the chosen people of Israel, a bragging point for all Jews, and he said, I will not rejoice in my nationality. He chose to rejoice in the cross of Christ. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul says that anything he gained in this life counts as trash, counts as garbage, counts as manure compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Nothing in this world compares to Jesus, and Paul knew it. Paul said, only in the cross of Christ will I rejoice. And we're gonna get to why. J.C. Ryle, who was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, he says this about what Paul was trying to convey by saying, I will not rejoice in anything but the cross. He meant to declare strongly that he trusted in nothing but Jesus Christ crucified for the pardon of his sins and the salvation of his soul. Let others look elsewhere for salvation. Let others trust in other things for pardon and peace. But for his part, the apostle was determined to rest on nothing, lean on nothing, build his hope on nothing, place confidence in nothing, and glory in nothing except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the cross is no question of controversy. A person must be right on this subject. You must know what the purpose of the cross is or you're lost forever. Heaven or hell, happiness or misery, life or death, blessing or cursing in the last day, all hinges on the answer to this question, what do you think about the cross of Christ? And I've spent two or three weeks meditating on that. What do I think about the cross of Christ? Am I right on this? And I think the best place to go to is scripture to find the answer. But Paul did not glory or rejoice in the actual wooden pieces of the cross that Jesus was crucified on. Paul himself would call that idolatry. We don't worship wooden shards. We don't worship wooden planks. But Paul also didn't mean that he would rejoice in another definition of the cross, one that Jesus used to describe his followers and said, you must pick up your cross daily to be worthy of me. Paul didn't mean that he was rejoicing in that kind of cross, although he carried that cross gladly throughout life. What he did rejoice in is what's known as the doctrine of atonement. What was completed on the cross, the doctrine of atonement. In taking, and this is the definition, in taking God's curse upon himself, Jesus satisfied the demands of God's holy justice. That's the doctrine of atonement. There must be punishment for sin. There must be punishment for sin, and Jesus paid the price. That's the doctrine of atonement. That by Jesus suffering and dying on the cross, he was made, he was the perfect and complete sacrifice for sin that satiated God's wrath against all sinful humanity. Paul rejoiced in Christ as Savior. When we look at the doctrine of atonement, we're looking at Christ as Savior, saved us from our sins. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, the doctrine of atonement is central to all Christian theology. To atone is to make things right, to make amends. All of our sins are against an infinite and holy God, and amends must be made for us to have fellowship with him. There's nothing we can do, no gift valuable enough, no work that is righteous enough for us to atone for our own sins. It must be done for us. Christ made the atonement for us by bearing our punishment in our place. Jesus satisfied the demands of God's holy justice. That's the doctrine of atonement, and that's what Paul rejoiced in. Paul did not meditate on his own goodness. Paul did not meditate on his own righteousness. He loved to think about what Christ had done, what Christ had suffered, the death of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the blood of Christ, the finished work on the cross of Christ. In this, Paul gloried. In this, Paul rejoiced. In this, Paul praised. This is the doctrine of atonement. The most incredible act of God's love toward us is not his material blessings, although he does bless us materially with your needs. The most incredible act of God's love is not even in his spiritual blessings, although he does give those in abundance. The most incredible act of God's love toward us is on the cross of Christ. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies with God, we didn't want anything to do with God, and Christ died for us. The cross of Christ is the ultimate figure of God's grace. It's where he who knew no sin became sin, and where the unrighteous, by believing on the Savior, can become righteous in the eyes of a holy God. How does that happen? The gift of a perfect sacrifice is grace. The gift of undeserved and unearned righteousness is grace. The cross is the ultimate figure of grace. 
The cross made no sense to the Judaizers. How could someone be made right with God without their own good works? How does that happen? It made no sense to them. It also makes no sense to the wisdom of the world. Because the wisdom of the world says that humans are good and humans deserve good things. Why are bad things happening to me? I don't know. (laughs) We're all sinners. We all commit sins against each other. But the world says, why would God have to kill his only son if all humans are good? Earlier in Galatians, Paul says that if we could be made right by our own work, then Christ died for nothing. Christ died for a reason because we could not do it ourselves. We are all born into sin and all of our good works and righteous acts are like filthy rags to our holy God. We are all in need of a righteous savior. We're all in need of a righteous redeemer. God uses the weak things of the world, the people whom the world rejects, the things that the world considers weakness to show his power. The world had rejected Jesus. The the religious system had rejected Jesus. The cross was a sign of weakness in the Roman world, a humiliating and excruciating death for low-life criminals. To the Jew, the cross was a sign of cursing from God, Deuteronomy 21. But God used the cross for his glory to atone for the sins of his people. He used the stumbling block to the Jews and the the folly to the Gentiles. He used that to glorify himself. In speaking of weaknesses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There we go again. God did it himself, so you have nothing to boast about. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul knew this. Paul preached this. In 2 Corinthians, more weaknesses. Paul says he received a thorn in his flesh to prevent him from becoming conceited. God allowed this to happen to him to humble Paul. Remember, Paul did more good works for Christianity than anyone but Jesus. And God gave him a thorn in the flesh. But Paul rejoiced in his weakness of his body and the weakness of his mind because he leaned, because when he leaned on the power and the sustaining of God's Holy Spirit, he was witness to God's grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That makes no sense to the world. This thinking makes no sense to the world, but it speaks to the character and to the power of our God, the one who's rescued us. Wherever Paul went, he made it a point to preach Christ only and Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty wisdom or speech. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What more do you want to preach? And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. 
Paul preached Christ crucified. Far too much in this modern age, we see people in charge of churches trying to dumb down the offense of the cross. The cross is offensive because it says you're a sinner. They're trying to appeal to the world, trying to take away the demands of Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. Lords tell you what to do. If you change Jesus and you distort his message and you distort his accomplishment upon the cross, you have a false Christianity. Paul knew what it meant to to preach Christ alone and to preach him crucified. And so did Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, Christ needs no new inventions to glorify him. Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, wants none of your inventions or discoveries or additions to his truth. A plain Christ is ever the loveliest Christ. Dress him up and you've deformed him and defamed him. Bring him out just as he is. Preach him crucified. Indeed, you cannot have Christ without the cross, but preach Christ crucified and you've given him all the glory that he wants. If you've ever been looking for any purpose in your life, preach Christ crucified. No, it doesn't have to be right here. In your life, preach Christ crucified. We're gonna close here. Uh, I guess, uh, Seth, you can come on up if you're ready. It's my buddy, Seth. We're gonna close here talking about the marks. Paul mentions the marks as he closes his letter to the Galatians. In verses 17 and 18, he says, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And then he blesses them as he, as he closes. But he ends his letter by reminding the Galatians of his true service to Christ, evidenced by the marks on his body. I am a true servant of Christ. Look at what I've been through. Remember, he had just said that the, that the uh, Judaizers did not care about preaching the true gospel because they didn't want to get persecuted. And Paul says, look at my back. Look at what I've suffered for the cross of Christ. Paul had received many marks on his body for the sake of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 11, I had this, I wanted to read the whole thing, but it's, man, Paul, it gets depressing reading about everything that he, that he went through. But I'm gonna, I do want to talk about it. In 2 Corinthians 11, he enumerates the injuries and the humiliation that he suffered for, on behalf of Jesus. He'd been beaten, stoned, whipped, shipwrecked, lost at sea, Danger from his own people, danger from robbers, danger from rivers, danger all around. Hungry, thirsty, homeless, in cold and exposure, all because he knew what it meant to live for God's glory. Paul was speaking of his genuine service to Christ. He had suffered patiently. He had suffered reverently. No one should cause me trouble because I've suffered for the cross of Christ is what he's saying. Can we learn from this lesson? Can we, can we step boldly and with confidence into the face of our enemies to suffer patiently and reverently while preaching the cross of Christ? Will we suffer losing friends? Will we suffer losing a job? Would we do that for Jesus? Paul did it. Paul did it. The letter ends abruptly. No planning for future trips. In other letters, he's like, hey, I'm gonna come see you guys in the future. Here, he said, no planning for future trips. No asking for an offering. Nothing like that. No long list of people he wants to say hi to or who's giving highs and thank yous to the, to the church he's writing to. Nothing like that. Just one line. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. A fitting way to end kind of a solemn letter. He'd been upset with the Galatians. How could you drift from the true gospel that I taught you? To anyone this morning who may be doubting God's love for you or may be searching for Christ, I want you to hear this quote. It's about the cross. Are you seeking salvation but doubtful that you can find it? Are you desiring to have an interest in Christ but doubting Christ will receive you? To you, I say, behold the cross of Christ. For you, that blood was shed. For you, those hands and feet were pierced with nails. For you, that body hung in agony on the cross. You are those whom Jesus loved and for whom he died. Draw near to him with boldness. His arms are open to receive you. His heart is full of love towards you. Surely that love ought to melt you. Surely the thought of the cross should draw you to repentance. On this Memorial Day weekend, may we never let a day go by without rejoicing in the cross of Christ. May we never forget the one who laid down his life for us to be forgiven. Rejoice in his cross. Rejoice in your forgiveness. Rejoice in his righteousness. We all pray with me and then we'll worship the Lord. Father, we come to you just thankful for your word. Where would we be without this? I, you have just, in your infinite wisdom, have wanted us to have this letter to the Galatians that speaks of the true gospel, that speaks of the true power of God through grace, not through anything that we do. What an image of grace and mercy the cross is. You condescended. You didn't just come down. You condescended and put on flesh to take our punishment for us. That, if that's not love, I don't know what is. We think we know what love is, but we only truly do when we look at what you've sacrificed for us. We can only love others because you first loved us. We thank you for your completed work on the cross. Tetelestai, it is finished. The accomplishment, it's almost incomprehensible, but we thank you for it. We're just grateful to be here this morning. We know that we're sinful and our righteous acts are like filthy rags, but Lord, we're going to praise you and worship you this morning. You inhabit the praise of your people, and we're going to lift you up. And we're going to thank you. We're going to glorify you. We're going to honor you with reverence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. As we reflect on those who gave their lives in service for this country, every day is a memorial day for believers in Christ. It's Jesus who paid the ultimate price for the forgiveness of our sins. Thanks for joining us. I'm Myrna Brown.